Well, this morning we are uh, beginning a brand new series that uh, we are entitling Courage to Stand in a Fallen World. And we're going to be uh, spend several weeks in um, the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Now, uh, just a couple words there. Um, for some of you that are new to uh, the Bible, that are new to church, uh, I just want to encourage you that we will do our very best uh, to make uh, these teachings relevant to anyone. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit of history, a little bit of um, uh, doctrine, but mostly I want to take out of each of these messages uh, some real take-homes for all of us. Um, something that you can take home, you can think about, you can wonder about, you can pray about if you're a Christ follower. But I, I just want to make these words very accessible to you as they were to the children of Israel um, 700 years before Christ. So uh, it's really kind of amazing when you're talking about a book that was written over uh, 2,600 years ago. And uh, one of the wonderful things about God's word is that it is still relevant today. There's no other religion that has ancient literature like we do that has been um, proven to be accurate uh, up to 2000 years ago. It's, it's incredible. But if you ever want to know more about the Bible and how it was put together, I'd love to share that with you. But it is just an amazing book. And we believe as Christ followers that this book is God breathed. Numa, the Greek word means literally that God breathes life uh, into uh, its pages. So uh, that's what we want to share with you today uh, from the book of Jeremiah. We will endeavor to give you the information you need uh, in your bulletins. If you would take out the sermon notes, uh, I want you to notice that uh, uh, it's a little bit more extensive because two of the pages are for sermon notes and two of the pages are for going deeper. And we want to encourage you to go deeper in a grow group. And you can still sign up for one today that will last just these 10 weeks. Or you can use this for growing, going deeper in your own personal time with the Lord. Uh, and I just want to encourage you all to uh, do the readings. You'll have readings each week that will be not only Jeremiah, but other parts of the Bible that will kind of help you put all of this together. So I just want to encourage you uh, to do all of that. And so I want to begin by uh, just sharing this verse with you from the first chapter of Jeremiah. And uh, it is a profound word, and it's also a promise to you. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today, I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. That's a promise. That was a promise 2,600 years ago. That's a promise to us today. The Lord says, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. So let me show you a picture of Jeremiah. Now, we don't know what he looks like, but this is a pretty good artist in his day, named by the name of Michelangelo. Uh, this is his rendering of what uh, uh, the weeping prophet looked like. And uh, in this, this was painted on the Sistine Chapel, as you know. And um, when you look at this picture, 
you recognize that um, the title that Michelangelo gave him and the title that Jeremiah gave himself was that of the weeping prophet. Uh, they say that uh, he began wailing the moment he was born. Here is presented a, a picture of a man of despair. He looks like a man who's wept so long that he has no tears left to shed. His face is turned to one side like a man who has received the blows of many troubles in life. His shoulders are hunched forward, weighed down by the sins of Judah. His eyes are cast down as if he can no longer bear to see how God's people are suffering. His hand covers his mouth. Perhaps he has nothing left to say. His name was Jeremiah, and he labored as God's prophet for 40 years or more, from 627 B.C. to sometime around 586 B.C. Four decades is a long time to cry. Who was this man? Why was he weeping? And what impact did he have on his world 2,640 years ago? And more importantly, what difference does it make that Jeremiah lived that many years ago to us today? What lessons, what teachings can we embrace based upon the life of this prophet almost three millennia ago? In these coming weeks, I would like to address some of these basic questions. Who was he? Why did he speak? What was he speaking? And what are these truths for us today? And along the way, I, I want to make this morning a, a couple of uh, promises to you. In fact, I want to make a covenant with you. Uh, that's the name of our denomination. So it's a good word. Uh, covenant is a promise. In this case, I'm asking you to make me a conditional or a, uh, a, a promise that we make to each other. Here's what I would ask you to do. I would ask you to do the readings each week. Uh, come each Sunday as you're able, uh, unless you're sick or out of town. Uh, I would ask you to uh, use the study guide to work through Jeremiah. Even if this is new to you, even if the Bible is new to you, you will find some real helpful things uh, in the study question. So that's my that's what you're making a promise to me about. Okay, you're making a covenant with me that you're going to at least do a level of homework and a level of reading that will kind of make you engaged on Sunday mornings. And then here's my promises to you. And I'll keep these promises as best I can through the coming weeks. The first promise I want to make to you is that when someone asks me who was Jeremiah, I will not smile and say he was a bullfrog. I promise you, I will. Now, those of you who are younger, there was a my favorite rock group back in the 60s, Three Dog Night, that had a song that was called Jeremiah Was a Bullfrog. So uh, look it up. It's, uh, it's on the Internet. Uh, here's my second promise to you. Uh, you will gain a sense of historical perspective, meaning you will be able to connect the dots between what happened before Jeremiah, during Jeremiah's day, and all the way up to the birth of Jesus. Uh, so that's my second promise to you. My third promise is this, is that you will, and I have prayed about this and I believe this with all my heart, you will recognize the amazing, awe-inspiring, omniscient, which means all-knowing, omnipotent, which means all-powerful, omnipresent, which means he's present everywhere, that you will recognize the love and mercy and grace that was 
intimately present with Jeremiah and just as intimately present in this room today through his son, Jesus Christ, and the spirit of the living God. I promise you, you will find things about God that will make your spirit soar. So I, if you press into this, if you do your part, I promise you, I will do my part. And then the fourth promise I want to make to you is this, that you will be confronted by God's word. Remember, God's word is God breathed his life into his word. You will be confronted and you will be encouraged by this word to have this one reality at the end of this series. And it's this, that you will have the courage to stand in the face of opposition. You will have the courage to stand in the face of your enemies. You will have the courage to stand in the face of opposition and uh, people that are determined to be against you. You will have the courage to stand. That is my promise to you. So to begin with, let's uh, get the historical piece out of the way. Uh, I don't get often to teach core, by the way, there's about 18 people back in that room going through core right now. If you haven't gone through core, uh, we'll have another class coming up in a, in a couple of months. But core is to learn kind of the beginning of who we are as a church and kind of what our, our, our uh, denomination is about, what our church is about. And one of the things I like to do when I do teach core is teach a 10 minute history lesson that takes you from 500 AD to 1500 AD. Thousand years. Dark ages. Okay? Uh, I'm going to try and beat that record today. I'm going to try and give you 2,000 years of biblical history in about 10 minutes. Okay? Now, don't start your watches. Don't start your time. You know, that's not, that's not fair. That'll put pressure on me. I don't like pressure like that. So, so we're going to break that record today. 2,000 years. So in your sermon notes, I'd like you to take a look at the timeline from Abraham. Uh, Abraham is kind of the beginning point uh, for our faith. And um, interestingly, he's the beginning point for Muslim and uh, Jewish people as well. So Abraham is kind of the beginning of our faith. And his sons, Abraham, or his son, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph, uh, that four generations there. That all started Abraham about 2000 B.C. OK, and then you see Moses at about 1300 B.C. Joshua after that. Saul, David, the kings, Solomon. The kingdom divided, then the fall of the northern kingdom. Jeremiah pops in there at 627 B.C., then the fall of the southern kingdom. Uh, Jesus, uh, the Jews returned to the temples rebuilt and uh, the Maccabean revolt. Romans controlled Jerusalem. Herod becomes king. And then Jesus, 4 B.C., crucified about 29 A.D. OK, so that's kind of the specific uh, the, the specifics of what I'm going to give you. That's the general what I'm going to give you a few specifics to kind of catch you up on history. So we begin with Abraham. This is all found in the book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible. Genesis meaning beginning verses chapters 12 through about 50. Uh, you have the record of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and one of Jacob's 12 sons, Joseph. And um, I just want to uh, give you the beginning of why this matters. God made a promise to Abraham, a covenant. And he said, this covenant, I want you to know, is really a couple of things. One is that I am going to give you a son. And if you know the story of Abraham, that was kind of bizarre in itself. But uh, so he got a son and that out of your offspring, uh, there will be literally 
thousands and thousands and millions of offspring over the next many generations, and you'll have so many, uh, so many descendants that will be like the stars of the sky or the sands of the sea. Okay, it'll be just innumerable. So that, that's the family unit that God promised to bless the Jewish people, God's chosen people, and out of that line will come the Savior. Okay, all of this is in Genesis around chapters 12 to 15. And it tells you the importance of, of, of God promising that out of this lineage will eventually come a Savior. You have to keep that in mind. Jesus. So, um, Abraham, here's the, one of the promises in Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. That was part of the Abrahamic Covenant. Another part of the covenant was uh, uh, Genesis fifteen twelve. He said, "I promise you, in that um, that land between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, uh, look on your maps in Turkey, and uh, that that fertile crescent area, that will be the beginning of man, and that will be the land that I promise you." And uh, so, over the years, Israel has been kind of chopped up and divided, and all of that. But uh, God says, "I'm going to promise you." Israel. So, if you ever wonder why the Jews are so fierce about their land, it goes back to Genesis. Okay, they're very fierce about it because they believe God gave it to them. So uh, the, the Jews and the Muslims have been fighting for 4,000 years. And quite honestly, it's not going to stop anytime soon as much as we'd like it to. So all of that is kind of the beginning. So uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. The youngest son, the baby of the family, Joseph. Uh, yeah, he was probably spoiled and his older brothers hated it. And his father gave him a really beautiful coat that he didn't give the others. And so there's a sibling thing going on. And so uh, the older brothers had this brilliant idea. Let's get rid of Joseph. We too, feel too guilty. Kill him. So they threw him in a cistern and then they uh, traded him to uh, 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 Egyptian traders as they was coming along. So they not only got rid of Joseph, they got some money. So that was a pretty good deal, really, they thought. And then he became a slave of the Egyptian army officer Potiphar. And uh, so now he's far away from his family. He's in a foreign country, can't speak the language. Everything's bad. But Joseph has such a great quality of spirit and faith in his life that his integrity, his honesty, his natural leadership kind of rose to the top. He became a prince, not only in Potiphar's home, but he became a prince of all of Egypt. He was kind of included as a prince, even though he was a foreigner. He was a Jewish man, but in Egypt he became this prince. And if you know the story again, uh, there was famine in the world, and uh, Joseph was the only one that thought through this and listened to the prophecies. And so he had stacked up for seven years all kinds of food. And so when the rest of the world was starving to death, Egypt had food. And guess who came begging for food? <laughs> Joseph's father and his eleven brothers. And from their land, they had nothing to eat. And they didn't know who this guy was, this prince of Egypt. And so with grace and forgiveness, this is beautiful. Joseph says, I forgive you. And this happens later. And I'm going to give you food. And I will actually make a place for you to live in the land of Goshen. And so he allowed these, these his, his father and 11 brothers and all their families and, and all their animals and everything to settle in the land of Goshen. And they began to set up shop there. And for the next several hundred years, they multiplied like rabbits. Okay, because now they've got food, right? And they've got tents and everything's all good. So, so, so there's just this group of, of Israelites are growing and growing and growing. And, and after a while, now, a couple hundred years later, Joseph has forgotten all about. You know, nobody remembers Joseph, that he gave him permission to be there. Now all the, the king wakes up one morning and says, wait a minute. 
we got a million Jews here, and if they have an uprising, we're in deep trouble because they're not Egyptians. They're just here. And so he turned them, instead of being there as strangers, by as guests, they turned them into slaves. And so uh, this happened for the next couple of hundred years until God provided uh, a Savior, a, uh, a Messiah, uh, a Deliverer, and his name was Moses, very good. And that was in the 1300 B.C., now seven years, 100 years after uh, Abraham. Now, to keep his promise of faithfulness to his people, um, he allowed, you know, Moses had this ten plague stare down with Pharaoh. And uh, and then eventually Pharaoh said, OK, you guys get out of here. And so between one and two million Jews left Egypt and they headed back to the promised land that God had promised them back in Genesis 15:12, right? And so they go, they cross the Red Sea, they head for uh, the promised land. It should have taken them a couple of days. It took them 40 years. So, you know, they're a little slow. Uh, you know, uh, they were guys, many of them. They didn't stop and ask uh, where they're going. Uh, they didn't have, you know, uh, their thing turned on. Anyway, so they, uh, they're wandering and everything and all. And finally, Joseph or, or Joshua, who was kind of a Moses right hand guy. What, Moses wasn't able to go into the promised land, but Joshua took them into the promised land. And then, um, and then there started this cycle. And we see this through the wilderness, this cycle that I call a cycle of sin. Let me put that up on the screen for you. The cycle of sin is this. It's disobedience that leads to brokenness, that leads to repentance, that leads to restoration. Disobedience, brokenness, repentance, restoration. Why does that sound so familiar to you? Because <laughs> the same thing we do almost every day, right? I mean, isn't this our same cycle of sin? This thing that God says, here's the best way to go. Go in this way. I'll bless you and everything. And we say, well, that, that sounds pretty good, but I'm going to go over here. And so we do this disobedience, brokenness, repentance, restoration thing. And, and it just wasn't working very well. And, and so Samuel, there was this period of judges in there. Samuel was the last judge and the people were still corrupt. They were still demanding their own way. And they rejected God for the first time as king. Now, this is brand new, because up till now, everybody wanted God to be their king. Now, they say, no, we want a real king. We want a king like they have in other places. And, and so God, even though that wasn't God's best, uh, he let man do what he wants to do, as many of us know. We hear God's best, and we still do our own way. And that's what they did. And so Samuel appointed a king, and his name was Saul. And after Saul, his son David, the little shepherd boy that grew up to be the greatest, most beloved king in the history of the Israelite people, he failed with Bathsheba and failed in other leadership ways. And you can read about that in the Psalms. Most of the Psalms, which means song, uh, are, are Psalms of David, of his kind of yearning for God and being sorry for his sin. And it's just really great stuff. And, and then David's son Solomon was made king and wisdom and great, great wealth followed. And the 12 tribes now uh, in this promised land are wealthy and united. And there's this time of unequaled prosperity and peace. After the death of Solomon in 922 B.C., his son Rehoboam came to the throne the northern tribes asked for a tax break. Rehoboam said, not on your life. You know, they must have been good politicians. And Rehoboam stubbornly said no. And then there was revolution under Jeroboam. And the kingdom was divided, never to be united again. It's really, really sad. And then in your bulletins, you'll see the uh, prophets, how they fit in there uh, during this time. And we'll talk about that later. 
and uh, the northern kingdom, which was Israel, fell to the Assyrians in 721 B.C. The southern kingdom, Judah, fell to the Babylonians in 587 B.C. And the prophets called the people back to God, but few would listen. And that's what we'll talk about, Jeremiah. So there was always this promised Messiah. This deliverer that was going to come and change the world. The hope of the Jews in exile. But God continued, but people continued to be disobedient and unfaithful to God. And then under Cyrus the king in 537 BC, uh, they kept, kept, they captured Judah, uh, the southern kingdom and allowed, finally they were allowed to return to their homeland. And that's where you have Ezra and Nehemiah building, rebuilding the temple. And it was really cool. And, and then we come to Psalm 126. And let's look at this. When the Lord brought back the captives of Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. And the people poured back into their the holy land and poured back into this temple. And it was a time of wonder and it was a time of praise. In the last decade of this longest and darkest period in Judah's history, there came two boys who were born. Two gifts from God to demoralized and damaged people. The two lives in this generation were those of Josiah, born in 648 B.C., and Jeremiah, slightly younger. As a reforming king and an outspoken prophet, these two were the last hope of people to survive with a nation as under God. Judah was in trouble. Israel to the Israel to the north had been overwhelmed by powerful Assyria and to the south and west. Egypt was in power. Assyria exacted great pain and carnage on tiny Judah. Uh, People had moaned and cried out to God. God, have you forgotten your people? Uh, They had forgotten that they had been in that cycle of sin over and over again. But God, have you forgotten your people? Was there any hope Uh, during this time? uh, Because of the Assyrians, there was the pagan worship, black arts, including human sacrifice, especially sacrifice of children, drugs and all kinds of demon and devil worship. And it seemed absolutely hopeless to God's people. Yet the tide was about to turn. The boy king Josiah had begun seeking the Lord in his teens. And by age 20, he began to purge his country of idolatry. One year later, 627 B.C., Jeremiah began his 40-year career as a prophet. And it all began when Josiah discovered a book. Among the rubble of the destroyed temple that had been destroyed for years and long forgotten, they found a copy of the book. What was known to them then as the Bible, it had the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It had some of the writings of Solomon, some of the writings of David, some of the Psalms and Proverbs. and some. But that was their book of worship. It had been gone for over two generations. Josiah rediscovered that. And this is what he said when he decided he brought all the people together. And this is what he said. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, 
which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations and decrees with all his heart and soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in the book. They discovered the book. They discovered God's laws and God gave them the Ten Commandments, which were really ten words for life, not ten words for you're bad and you ought to do something different. God gave them back this book that was going to help them. Now, you know, fast forward up to today, we as a covenant church, we are people of the book. That's one of our highest values is that we are a Bible people. We constantly, every Sunday, what we're trying to do is rediscover the truth of God's word. Every Sunday we're trying to invite you into this uh, great adventure of discovering God's truth this, in this God-breathed book. And imagine this has been gone for like two generations and they rediscover the Bible and there is reform and renewal and repentance and revival. And it starts with the book. It always starts with the book. So we come to the word of God is lived and known through the prophet Jeremiah. This man, along with the godly king Josiah, were to be instruments of God to set the Israelites free. Not just free from the bondage of the Assyrians and the Egyptians, but free from the bondage of sin. That was a mistake that that was made in Jesus' day. The disciples thought that Jesus was going to set them free from the bondage of Rome. And Jesus said, no, I came for something much more important than that. I came to set you free from the bondage of your sin. That's the big kingdom, remember? The little kingdom was freeing from the Roman Empire. The big kingdom was freeing people from their sin. And Jeremiah said the same thing. With God's calling comes God's gifting. Jeremiah was not sure he was up to the challenge. He wasn't real happy about this. He was just a young man, maybe 18, 19 years old. And this is what he said in Jeremiah 1.6. Ah, sovereign Lord, talking to the Lord, he said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. Now, this is a guy that's 18, 19 years old. He's, he's been around this stuff for a long time. God said, I'm going to give you something to do. And it's going to seem hard. And it's going to seem complicated. It's going to seem risky. And that's because it is. <laughs> it's going to seem time consuming. In fact, it's going to actually cause you to die someday. You know, it's just going to look like too much. But uh, I think we know what that feels like. Maybe not the same way Jeremiah did, but. Have you ever felt that God was giving you a task or a commandment that he wanted you to do or believe or to live out? And you said, man, that's just not, that's too hard for me. That's too difficult. I can't do that. I can't tell my neighbor about Jesus. Well, I guess God would say, why not? I'll, I'll give you the strength. Well, I, I can't, I can't do that. That sounds too hard for me. I, I can't start tithing. I, I mean, I can't do, so- those things are too hard for me. I just don't know what I'm going to do. I think we've all felt like that. I don't know enough. My personality is too shy. I don't have enough money. I don't have time margins, money margins. I don't have a desire. I don't have a passion. I'm only a child. (laughs) Well, sometimes we need to grow up. Remember, we talked about that last week. Not old enough, not educated enough, not knowledgeable enough, not devout enough. And like we said last Sunday, and, and we saw it in a powerful way yesterday at Be The Church, sometimes we just show up. I heard some people say they went over to the the, the um, rest home uh, team went over there and and you know just to be with these older people and some people were very anxious about that man I, this is the, this is out of my comfort zone what am I going to say what am I going to do and you just go over there and you be present with them and guess what God just opens the door and I heard so many stories of that and 
Uh, and the, uh, down at the, at the Mesa Men's Center, a uh, group went down there and fed them lunch and just sat around tables. You saw some of the pictures. And, and here's uh, these guys, many of them uh, getting a rehab from drug and alcohol. And, and our people are in there just visiting. And well, what do I say? Well, you don't have to just, just say, hey, tell me about your life. How can I pray for you? You know, just really connecting. That's hard. What a powerful thing when we say, God, I'm going to do something hard because I know you're going to give me the strength. That's what Jeremiah did. That's what he said. And he would say to us today, if he were standing here, he'd say, well, stay in your marriage. I know it's hard. Stand up for the right things. I know you want to. Stand up for the people that are hurting, that are broken, that are underprivileged, to those who grieve or persevere. Or You need to stand tall in the face of adversity or racism or social justice or poverty. Stand tall. I know it's not easy. That's what Jeremiah said. But do it. Stand tall. Stand up for something. Know what you believe. Well, God, how can I stand? How can I make a difference? I'm, I'm so young or I'm so weak or I have so little faith or I'm so small. And this is what the Lord said in verses 7 to 10 of chapter 1. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. God says whatever he asks you to do, he will give you the strength to do it. He will give you the words to do it. He will give you the ability to do it. If he calls you, he will equip you with courage, strength and whatever you need. To do the task. Moses said, God, I, I, you know, when God asked him on the Mount Sinai, I want you to go and set my people free. And Moses said, I, I, I look at my mouth. I can't even talk. He said, I'm, I, I stutter. I lisp. We don't know what is impediment. I can't even talk. And God said his answer to him about that was not. Well, I'll give you the words. That would have been easy. Here's what God's answer to that was. He just stated his name. He said, my name is Yahweh. Okay, that's cool. Your your name's Yahweh. Yeah, yeah. Moses, do you know what Yahweh means? Uh, No. What does it mean? It means, I am with you. I am with you. I will always be with you. My name is Yahweh. Every time you can't think of what you're going to say, remember, my name is Yahweh. I am with you. I am that I am. Uh, Friday night, uh, Sherry and I were home, and there's a knock on the door, kind of unusual, uh, just at dusk. And um, there's a young man there, and uh, it's obvious he had his little pad out there, and he was selling something, you know, magazines or something. Well, come to find out, he was from Teen Challenge. Uh, and many of you know that ministry. It's a great ministry. And so we found out he's from Teen Challenge. I invited him in, gave him a, something to drink, and sat down in our living room. We just had some fellowship. And here's a young man that, uh, he's been in the program about a year, honey, something like that. And... Um, uh, he had broken his, as you would expect, his parents' hearts <laughs> when he got involved in hard drugs, started with alcohol. Can I say, can I just say that? It always starts with alcohol. Okay. Okay. Started with alcohol, marijuana, you know, right down the path. And this kid was just all messed up. And he was all messed up for four years. He had done everything. He'd broken the law, everything. But finally, somebody got him to Teen Challenge. Christ saved him. Christ renewed him. 
Christ gave him a new life. And here he's sitting in our living room talking about the Lord and what the Lord means to him. And he had told me at the door that uh, before he came to Christ, he couldn't hardly speak to anybody. He was so tied up and so had such a poor self-image. You couldn't talk to him. Well, you couldn't shut him up now. The kid was, we had fellowship for a half hour. He was just talking about the Lord and it was just awesome. And a woman on the other side of our street, he said, I just came from that house. This woman has a, a son that's in jail because of drugs and alcohol. And, and he said, I, I prayed with her. Now, now, this is a kid that couldn't even talk. And now he's, and he didn't go to school. He hasn't gone to seminary. He's just saying, Lord, I want to do this for you. Give me what I need. Powerful testimony of Jeremiah is that no matter what God asks you to do, he will give you the strength to do it. Let's make this very personal as we close. God has gifted and called you to serve him at exactly this point in history. It's not an accident that you're here this morning. Jeremiah's example gives us strong encouragement to live for Christ in a pagan world. And this is what Jeremiah said. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today, I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. That's God's promise to you. Most of you have heard of Mother Teresa. In 1979, she won the Nobel Peace Prize. This diminutive Albanian nun visited a church in, or excuse me, a ghetto in Washington, D.C. in the fall of 1981. Not so bright lights in that ghetto, (laughs) about a half a mile from the residence of the President of the United States. It's called Anacostia. No lights and fanfare there. It's a ghetto of hunger, crime, drugs, and hopelessness. Normally, Washington celebrities and power brokers and the trash and the press that tracks them along with the paparazzi never go into that area of town because it just doesn't look right. And the power of the most, uh, you know, the power seat of the most powerful place in the world. But she went there and so the reporters went there and one reporter asked her, what do you expect to accomplish here? She replied, the joy of loving and being loved. The reporter goes, Okay. He said, um, does that take a lot of money? She said, no, it takes a lot of sacrifice. Now, the press was completely bewildered at her responses. They could not fathom the source of her power. Another one asked, why do you work for lepers in Calcutta, India? And why do you come to this ghetto here in Anacostia? Why do you do what you do? And her response was profound. She said, brother, she said gently, my vocation is not to work for lepers. My vocation is to belong to Jesus. Mother Teresa was not in love with a cause as noble as her cause was. She was in love with Jesus, the God who compelled her to live for him. Jeremiah did not have the ability or the capacity to save his nation. But he loved God with all of his heart. He said, God, sign me up. I don't know what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it, but God signed me up. Why? Because I belong to you. And why would we do anything to serve God? Why would we even attempt to stand in the face of adversity in our day today? It's very simply. 
My vocation is to belong to Jesus. My vocation is just to live for him, whatever that takes. In a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as we do, I want to make this an invitation to you to to come forward, to establish once again, you know, uh, this beachhead, you know, God, I'm for you. I know I've messed up before. I know I need my 17th time of being forgiven for the same sin. But God, I need you. I need you in my life because I want to stand tall for Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me?